Tim corrected me. Says Epstein. Um, I said Epstein. He said Epstein. Yeah. I second guess every every word. Someone I got criticized for saying Nietzsche, and now I'm like, I don't know what anything is. What's what's if it's not Nietzsche? What is it's it? It's like Nusha or something. Nusha. <laughs> something. Nusha. No one in my life has ever said Nusha. I've never heard <laughs> anyone say Nusha. Uh. And I know I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I feel like I pay attention when I hear other people yeah, talk. Yeah, like I got it. Nietzsche from people saying Nietzsche. It's because I'll say I don't know. I've only read this word, so I don't know how it's pronounced because most of my vocabulary is just words I've heard other people use. You know, I didn't pay attention in school or whatever. And uh, I heard someone saying, "Oh, who was that? It might have been Tom Goss. It was someone in my car. Oh no, it was Kate." Someone in my car that talking about Nietzsche for a while, and then I was like, "What is that word that you're saying?" And then he said, "You know, the guy that you're talking about." And I was like, "Is am I the one saying that wrong, or are you the one saying that wrong?" And then he was like, "Oh, I don't know." And then I did the which is a nice, which is a I like when people are just like, "I don't know." Yeah, I thought it was very nice too. (laughs) I think he knew, but um. Then I went on the Reality Transurfing podcast and said it, and then I saw somebody say in that uh, that he lost respect for me as soon as I said it, and I was like, well, you should stop. Do not follow my work, <laughs> because it is, uh, it is like 30% mispronouncing words. Also, I can't imagine how difficult life must be for you. <laughs> but like that's what lost respect. Yeah. Also, it's funny that Listen, I'm only saying Nusha from now on. Well, hold on. I'll get it pronounced. Frederick Nietzsche. 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 Okay, that's... What was I saying before? Nusha? Nusha. (laughs) Listen, I didn't have any respect to lose for you, so... (laughs) You're good. You're good here. I think it's funny, though, that he said that on Bootsy Greenwood's podcast because uh, uh, Bootsy Greenwood, Owen Hunt, is the one who did. He Remember when I was we were listening to the YouTube versions of reality Transurfing, and this guy had just like read them on his YouTube. That's yeah. him. But he also did. Uh, Toofty the Priestess, and he pronounced it's Toofta, I think. Which is weird because it's definitely an I. Uh, And he pronounced it wrong in the entire book. Like he read the entire book. Her name is in it constantly. And he pronounced her name wrong the whole time. So I'm like, uh, I would think if you're listening to Owen's podcast, you're into this sort of thing. You're into mispronunciation, man. Yeah. But I'm sorry I ruined it for you. Oh. Yeah, I mean, most of us lost respect for Jessa. (laughs) Way before that. What did Way it for you? Way before that. I lean back in my chair. <laughs> Let me. I like. I stroke my chin as a as a warpy a thought bubble appears. In it. Like, the time I put on my deodorant when the Starbucks guy wasn't looking, and then he went to hand me my drinks. And I was putting on my deodorant. <laughs> 
Yeah. That and then he was like, I can see you. <laughs> <laughs> if you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. I've seen you get lost standing underneath a sign saying, <laughs> like, you are here. You need to turn left. And you're like, what the fuck? Uh, I've, I've seen you uh, get a flat tire <laughs> by parking. <laughs> These are all just things from yesterday. You just driving. <laughs> that's, how far, that's how far back my memory goes. I've, uh, we once went into a hotel. (laughs) Checked in. Like, put our bags down. Like, stayed inside, like, for a while. And then I went outside for a smoke or something. And, uh, you, your car door, your driver's (laughs) side, car doors just open. I had been for like an hour. Just open. <laughs> lights are on inside the car. Uh, it's all good stuff. I you want to hear something dumb? This is the dumb, dumbest thing I've ever done. I'm at the Boy Scout, the national or international? I think it's the world jam. I don't know. I don't think they call it international. The world jamboree. I don't know. It was like there's the, the Boy Scouts have a jamboree. I don't. This is. I've never thought about how funny this word is until just now. A jamboree. We had jamboree at church. Well, ours was better, but there were definitely Boy Scouts from other parts of the world. That's why. Anyway, but like the jamboree happens once every four years, and me and my my Boy Scout homeboy Alex Perez, we were the only kids in Troop 1660 that took scouting this seriously. We were like, we're going to the jamboree so we had to join some other kids troop that was going anyway we're going to the the jamboree baby and it's like this week long maybe even longer than a week is it two weeks long shit it was one of the coolest things that i had done uh you're just like i think it's somewhere in virginia and uh it's just boy scout shit and this huge giant open place and there's like like cool ass shit like go-karts to drive and like BMX uh, courses to like do bike stunts and climb. You got to repel and learn how to climb walls and shoot uh, shotguns and rifles and bows and arrows. And uh, there's fireworks. The Dixie Chicks, I think, came to perform for us or some (laughs) shit. Uh, Like President George Bush uh, like uh, came and spoke to us. And anyway, it's a bunch of cool stuff. Is this an annual thing? No, I think it's like every four years. Okay. And uh, so many weird memories from this thing. Um, we flooded. We flooded the jamboree. Like my my troop was personally responsible. There was uh, this like drainage tunnel thing underneath the road, and when it started pouring rain, which it did for a, a few days, all the rain was coming into our campsite through this drainage uh, tunnel. And we were like, you know, 14 and problem solvers. And we were like, we 
need to fix our campsite. So we stole hay bales from the BMX course and we uh, walked them back down and we shoved them into <laughs> the, that tunnel. We just shoved all the hay bales into there and then like, boom, our campsite's got no more water coming into it. And then the entire road flooded. The BMX course flooded. <laughs> like everything got fucked up. We never got in trouble for it. We just acted like, like when people came around to fix it, they're like, what happened here? And we all just walked away. We're like, oh, time to fill film the canteen. Oh, let's go. Anyway, there were porta potties everywhere at this place because you have like, I don't know, 10,000. I have no idea how many Holy Boy Scouts shit. are there. There's a lot of Boy Scouts. And there's there's porta potties everywhere. Uh, dude, patch trading was like a cool nerdy thing that people would do. Like you trade patches and pins from different uh, states and countries and and stuff. Oh, I didn't know you were allowed to do that. I thought you had to earn those fucking things. There's there's patch. There are patches that you earn, but then there's like just like you know these are just fun decorative patches, right? Like gotcha. like your shoulder patch that has like your your troop number on it. Like ours had like this really, it was like the, I think the Jefferson Memorial at sunset was our shoulder patch. It looks pretty nice. So a lot of people want that. So then you trade that for like, you know, something from Japan or something from the seventies or whatever is cool. So people would be out on the sides of the road with like blankets or neckerchiefs laid down and all their patches laid out. And people just, it's kind of got this like street market vibe to it. You're just walking around looking at stuff and, uh, the porta potties are all right there. And uh, <laughs> some guy walked into a porta potty with like I don't know fifty feet of rope behind him, <laughs> like it's like just tied to like his belts or something, <laughs> and it's just dragging behind him. And he goes into the porta potty, and so then the the rope is just like hang is just out there. And so then I was I grabbed one end of it, <laughs> and I would st I stood. Uh, in like in like a, a pack of people looking at patches and I'm just like kind of hidden in the crowd you know and I, but I, and I've got my back towards like the rope but I'm looking over my shoulder and when kids come walking or running through <laughs> I, I I yank on the rope and then they trip <laughs> so they trip they trip and fall but every time they trip and fall the dude in the porta potty <laughs> is getting yanked. She's <laughs> like, "What the? Fuck? I don't know who the kid in the porta potty is. I just, I he's he's an anonymous scout on the end of a rope to me. That's all I know. But he's, you can hear him in there going, "What the? F what? Stop that!" And so then me and another kid. Then I guess we got bored of tripping people. Then we took this excess <laughs> rope and we started running around the porta potty, <laughs> roping it up, just tying it up. And the kids like can hear what's happening. <laughs> and he, you can hear him try to finish up. <laughs> and, like, and he starts he starts pushing. <laughs> On the door, but we've already got like several ropes for it, and he gets like the top half of his body like through the top of the door, and he's like, "Stop it! Stop it! Let me out!" And we're just like, "Yeah!" And he like he had to crawl out over top of the rope, and uh, oh. and but uh, we were long gone. 
Anyway, there's not even, I'm on such a tangent <laughs> of, of Boy Scout memories. But the dumbest thing I did was a, was when I was inside of the porta potty and uh, I had I had pooped and had gone number two. And afterwards, I realized there's no toilet paper in this porta potty. It's out. It's out. And uh, now I've got uh, like a poopy butthole <laughs> and and nothing to do ab- with it. And I think, okay, I'll just, you know, you got to do it. It's not fun, <laughs> but like I use my hand and uh, then I'll wash my hands, right? Uh, uh, it seemed like the best thing for me. They had a uh, hand sanitizer in like the porta potty because uh, that's easier than, you know, oh having God. sinks and soap and stuff. <laughs> you see where this is going? So <laughs> I don't know, something I just. I was very concerned about having like such a dirty little bum hole and <laughs> and I thought like I'll put this ha- hand sanitizer. <laughs> I was like I'll use you know, like that uh, if I can put a little bit of that on my hand first and then wipe uh my butt with that <laughs> that's going to help clean away. I just felt like it's like soap, right? It's like soap. I don't know. I'm 14. I don't know the science of hand sanitizer. And um, I, it was like immediate. I knew I had done something bad. Like immediately, I just put it. I put the hand sanitizer in my butt, and it was it was pain that I couldn't. I was and I and I couldn't do anything about it now it's there and it's burning it's burning my asshole and i then i also couldn't tell anyone about it this is the first time i've told anyone about it i wanted to tell someone but i was like can't tell my put hand sanitizer like that my asshole's on fire can't do that uh Oh, Scout Jamboree was awesome, man. We had cots. We had like had cots and like foot lockers. You had to bring a foot locker of all your stuff, and it felt very cool. I also remember the worst part of Jamboree was um, before we went, we had to watch a video about being molested. (laughs) Jesus! Just in case it happens, you got to know what to do. And the vi- I can still remember this video. We were in a church, not a Mormon church, but like whatever church this sc- other scout troop was associated with. We were in their church with all the other Boy Scouts and parents, and we're just like watching this movie uh, about cr- like there was like three different scenarios that went through. Like Jesus. This, uh, like an uncle uh, coming into the shower <laughs> and the kid being like, hey. I'm in the shower. <laughs> Hand me the hand sanitizer. <laughs> and then, um, uh, uh, no, like an older, an older, burning. say what? <laughs> 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 the worst one was like an older kid uh, was like hanging out with all these younger kids, and he was like, "We should wrestle." 
and then he was like you got to take your clothes off to wrestle and then they were like all in their underwear and then there's just like uh then there's just like all like whenever there's a kid saying like hey i'm in the shower or whatever it always cuts to like an exterior shot you know so yeah. you know you just hear this disembodied voice so then it just cuts to like a shot of the out the exterior of the house and he's just like hey that's my underwear <laughs> And oh. uh, then they're like, you know, the scoutmaster gets up and he's like, any questions? <laughs> A lot, I, but none that I, I don't feel like I can, I can say out loud right now. Did your dad go on that one with you? No, he, uh, they showed, because my parents, we, we lived in Maryland, so it's like a, it was a short drive to the Jamboree campsite, you know, at least yeah. opposed to like scouts that came from Utah or California or something. Uh the Mormons were big into scouts. A year ago, they f- they ended their relationship with Boy Scouts of America, and now they do their own thing. Because they're not being huge bigots anymore? Yeah, something like that. It's just like now girls can join and gays can join. And uh, so the Mormons was like, you know what? We'll just do our own thing. We'll do our own thing. I have no idea what their new thing is. Like they also, we always had Boy Scouts and then also like, a, a youth program like there was like for the sh- not for the strength of youth what was it it was like some medal that uh, you earned by doing your ironic priesthood booklet whatever so i su- assume it's something like that but anyway big deal uh mormons and boy scouts were and so at the jamboree the prophet actually came and uh, on sunday and we had church like service like on sunday like you would Boy Scouts could go to their religious services, and there was one for like every religion. You just went to that campsite, and the Mormon one, Thomas S. Monson, came. Guess he wasn't prophet yet, but Thomas S. Monson, uh, he was the next prophet, and he came and like did sacrament meeting with us, and like I, I think I helped pass the sacrament that day. Like I was one of the people that would pass, and we're like, you know, it's raining, we're all out in a field in ponchos. And uh, it felt felt very cool to me. Anyway, my parents drove down. Uh, so did so did Alex's parents, I believe. And uh, they're like all in their nice Sunday clothes, in just like a muddy field <laughs> <laughs> in the rain, and we're all just in scout uniforms and ponchos and stuff. So he came down for that. A kid, a, a Mormon kid, got uh, a got struck by lightning that year at what? Jamboree. Yeah, and he lived. He he got brought back to life. And so they were like share they were I remember them talking about that story in uh at church. What's weird? We had a newspaper. I wonder if he came back Mormon. Yeah, he he did, man. They were like uh share, like, you know, priesthood blessing brought him back to life. And I remember him talking about like the 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 scout leader was like he was the kid was pushing a wheelbarrow and the lightning hit the wheelbarrow and blasted the kid off. Oh of my it. god. Yeah. I mean I remember the leader who was like next to him, his watch stopped after the lightning hit the wheelbarrow or something. And uh him talk like holding up the watch and using that as an object lesson or something about this was the time that a kid died. I don't know. God hates wheelbarrows. Yeah, yeah God was like, fuck that wheelbarrow. It was really I'm just not remembering like who was making the newspaper? There was a daily newspaper at the Jamboree. Because I remember we had the newspaper that was, like, talking about the kid who got struck by lightning. Like, there's a little Boy Scout journalist, like, riding in their little journalist tent. Boy Scouts is cool. Yeah. I liked it. I would go to Boy Scout camp every summer. 
uh, just like regular camp, would be gone for like a week, you know, in, right. in Goshen, Goshen, Virginia. And uh, I loved, I loved it. It was really, really weird and really, I was not cool at all in those, like in my own ward, like my own troop at home, I was the loser because I probably liked Boy Scouts too much and like everyone else uh, was just there. Like we were supposed to come up with a troop cheer. Have I told you this? We yeah. Like, uh, uh, every at the flagpole every evening, we liked like someone plays a bugle and we lower the flag and then all the troops give their troop cheer and they say your troop name and you give a cheer and there's you know just like some dumb rhyme, like eh, we're troop four twenty nine and we're always be right on time. Da, 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 whatever your troop cheers, yeah. and our troop was sixteen sixty, and the older boys, uh, you know, were like our cheer. They're going to – is we just say nine. We just say nine. That's it. And they all laughed and knew that it was funny, and I didn't know why it was funny. <laughs> and and then we're standing at the flagpole, and they're doing all these troop cheers, and they're like, we're through the air and by the sea. We are troop 1993. You know, and then they're like, troop 1660. And then we all go, nine. <laughs> Because now I get the joke is 69, right? The joke, the joke is like, you know, these the 16 year old boys knew what 69 was and they thought it was really funny. And they're like, we'll just say 1669. And how did how, you not get in trouble for that? Right? How naive are like our Mormon Boy Scout leaders? But like, you guys did that at the Jamboree? No, this oh. was this is not Jamboree. This is a local Boy Scout camp. Okay. This was every this was a yearly thing that we went to this Boy Scout camp. And like why is Brother McClure and Brother Meredith just allowing this cheer <laughs> to take place? I don't know why, but they did. Uh it's it's strange. The like our Boy Scout leaders are just, you know dads or just dads right. that got called to do it i remember one of my vivid memories of boy scout camp is my dad came one year i don't think he came a lot but i know oh, he, he wasn't like a leader or anything nah but he came this one year and i can just remember him sitting in a chair eating just taking bites out of a raw potato <laughs> Not cutting it with a knife, and it's it's just it's just it's just a raw potato, like an apple, like an apple, and he's just biting into it. That's violent. That's a violent act. That that's uh, makes everyone uncomfortable. Like you know, you always it was very kind of validating because you think your dad is weird. You always, you think your dad like your dad does stuff all the time that you're like what the what the. But it's validating to have other adults yeah. be like, Stephen, what the fuck? <laughs> Everyone's looking at him like, Stephen, what the? Are you not in front of the kids? Stephen, are you all right? That's when I knew my dad was weird. <laughs> my dad's a farm boy, man. My dad's just like, like, there's other food, okay? There's. <laughs> This not like the food at, at Scout Camp's not great. We had to walk to the what's it called the commissary or whatever, and they yeah. give you your food for the night. And you would, they would just be like in these tin 
uh, pans and you'd carry them back uh, to camp and you'd eat them, you know, and they would not be good. And I remember one year, I don't know if it was the, I don't know if it was the same year. They all kind of blend together. There's one year where we had like a food shortage where they kept not giving us enough food. And all, we were like, there was too many of us for the amount of food that they were giving us. And, uh, our scout leader was like, I had enough of this. Like, uh, you guys are giving us more food tonight. Give us some more fucking food. Uh, he didn't say fucking, but give it, you know, my boys yeah. are hungry. Give us some more food. And, she just and it like was the night. You. No, it was the night of like chili tacos, something like it was gr- it, whatever it was. It was gross and no one wanted to eat it. <laughs> and uh, brother McClure's like, I am taking these pans back clean like they are. I'm bringing these pans back empty so they can see that that's how much food that we need. And we're all just like, oh, <laughs> well, can you just throw it out <laughs> and then take it back? But he made us eat all this stuff and then everyone just shit. <laughs> everyone just farting and shitting. <laughs> it's just disgusting. I was going to say, why chili? It's just gross. Gross. So it's not good food, but there would be like, you know, like they, you'd get a lot of stuff for like breakfast where they'd give you just like fruit and, and stuff. That, anyway, you, like we found ways to live. We got by. Right. There's plenty of, of good things. And my dad's just like, <laughs> oh, shit, we got some leftover potatoes. No, one, is no one eating this potato? No one wants this potato? Oh, hot damn. <laughs> just, a ha- just a happy little farm boy just in the woods eating a potato. Just like, just happy. He was just like. He couldn't understand the commotion. Like, what's all the hubbub? <laughs> if y'all don't like potatoes, just give them to me. I'll, you don't have to watch me eat them. We're like, good grief. <laughs> same year, same year, because my dad's there. Um, a guy, Brother Proctor, who was cool. Brother Proctor was like this nice, like, widowed man who just, like, helped boys get their Eagle Scouts. And like he helped me get go to Jamboree because I needed money to go to Jamboree, and he would just let me come over to his house and do yard work, and he would pay me too much money for the shit amount of work that I did. He was a cool guy. I like him a lot. And a lot of Boy Scout leaders I don't like, and like he he would just do Boy Scouts because he wanted to. You know, the other guys were there because the bishop told them to do it, right? And they don't really truly want to be there. They would be like the ones on campouts. Where they would, I remember that we had this one set of leaders whose wives uh, would make them their own food, and they would eat it in front of us while we ate, like you know, our dinty more uh, canned <laughs> beef stew or something. And uh, they would just be smug about it. They didn't like those guys that much. But Brother Proctor's cool. He shows up late in the week. He had work or something. He couldn't be there all week, so he comes in late in the week. My mom had sent along with him a care package. Like, she made brownies and cookies and stuff just for us. Like, sent a whole box, like, so the whole troop could eat brownies and cookies. And uh, I remember, uh, (laughs) um, oh, shit, what's this guy's name? McMurray, Brother McMurray. He ate, like, half of the cookie and then just chucked the other half into the trees like he wasn't going to finish it and he just chucked it and i remember my dad being like excuse me what the hell what the hell dave (laughs) 
like what are you doing and we and, and my dad just gave him shit for like the rest of the week my dad never let it go like at any turn my dad was bringing up how he threw away a cookie and he was like well you know i'd give you that but you'd probably just throw it into the <laughs> woods you know he would just say stuff like this all the time and i thought it was so funny that my dad like could appreciate cookies so much but still eat raw potatoes <laughs> Like he did, so he does have a palate. Like he does yeah. know like what good stuff is, but he is just content to eat a he, potato. He salt. I he salted the potato. I shouldn't oh, say did. it's raw. He had he had like a, a salt shaker. Imagine a man with with a half eaten potato. Like he's bitten off the top of the potato, and he's just salting the top of it, like, and then taking another oh, bite wow. of it. What a strange man, my father. Definitely a strange man. I can't believe you put I can't believe you put hand sanitizer on your asshole. <laughs> Imagine a man with an asshole just sprinkling hand sanitizer on it. Did it work? I mean <laughs> I could feel it working. I could feel 99.9% .9 of my asshole's germs being violently eradicated. So, yeah, it worked. Uh, it just depends, yeah, on what you consider working. <laughs> I guess. Are you willing to pay that price? Did your butthole burn all night? It burned for a while. I remember it burning for a while, but it subsided. It definitely didn't go all night, yeah. you know. Uh, you you soak that up, right? Yeah. Came out like, really what I did with, I, I keistered hand sanitizer. <laughs> Imagine what I, if I was just getting drunk off of hand sanitizer in my butt. Oh, fuck. <sighs> did I ever tell the story of, I was thinking about failures the other day. I was thinking about all my gigantic failures in life that have led to, the, s the small successes. Did I ever tell the story on the podcast of when I tried to do a mom tour? No. All right. Well, so first, in 2012, I was like, okay, I have to give two years to comedy. I have to give an honest effort to comedy. Otherwise, I'll regret it for the rest of my life. And then I booked a bunch of stuff. I had a pretty solid game plan for getting out on the road. And then I got accidentally pregnant. So now I have two kids and one of them is very small. So my game plan for just going out on tour is now kind of shot. Well, first I had to wait two years after that for pregnancy and postpartum depression to be finished. Yes, we got that correct, Annie. And then, um, I mean, postpartum is my nickname for postpartum depression because we're on we are a first name basis. We are yeah. on a first name basis. Uh, so now I had to be more strategic from Delaware. I had to figure out a way to attempt to get famous. And at this point, it's like TV credits, TV credits. That's what they want. They want you to have TV credits. Now it's they want you to have a million followers. A million followers. And so Maybe I... Maybe a podcast. I, uh, I was trying to figure out how to get TV credits. And so I had a friend 
who oh because my goal at the time once I had Lily was like okay I want to find a way to tour with my kids on the road I'm going to do stand up on the road with my kids and a mutual friend uh of this woman my friend Christine Levine was like oh I know a woman who wants to do a documentary about that and we should all do it together and so we got together and all started doing it together and me and this chick, we ended up becoming friends, but we're not each other's cup of tea. I also back then was, you know, full force Jessa move things forward. And this person had like, I guess, depression or whatever, but she would like check out of reality. And, and then Christine also didn't move very fast. And so for months, it was just a lot of like spinning wheels. And I had some money in the bank and some credit cards. And I was ready to just like push this thing forward. And Christine ends up dropping out or something, or we had money to put into it. And first we came up with the name Momsters. And uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. And then uh, Roseanne came out with a show called that. And so we had to do Roseanne, Roseanne, Momsters, Momsters for a minute and just long enough to fuck up our plan. So anyway, it, me and the, the, the other woman, it wasn't easy for us to work together. It didn't go very well. It was like, okay, here's the date that this is supposed to be done. And then she wouldn't have it done and whatever. She's, who cares? Uh, we just weren't each other's cup of tea. Um, so we butt heads a lot. And then we're moving things along pretty well. I'm very good at making things look important on social media so I ended up with a lot of people like following this project whatever and uh we had to do we both were supposed to bring whatever like 15 grand into the project and then we had to do a uh a kickstarter because she couldn't she didn't have her money and uh I ended up just putting my own money into the kickstarter to get all the money back out it was a mess but anyway during this process this guy contacts me oh fuck I wanted to definitely name him by his name and now I can't remember it but this guy from Texas messages me and says when you're coming through Texas I would like to book you on some nights and I was like perfect and then he was like um uh, I'm actually a producer and I am really into this project I would love to be a part of this project if I could be the producer I would now I have no idea what I'm doing like people would say stuff to me like he said things like I could do it for points and I was like uh well let me talk to my partner about that and then I'm like googling what are points yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing. I am just reading this uh, to the fullest. Like, you got a punch card or something that I'm going <laughs> to fill out? What do you mean, man? Do um, you mean percentage point? Like, he, he wants means a percentage? percentage on the documentary. Because the premise was we go on tour, we have a film crew with us in a bus, and the kid. I have like cool pictures from the promo. Uh, we ended up naming it Amomination. and uh, which is all very dorky for now. But this was it's I don't better know. than Monsters. Yeah, this I like Amomination. And I think Amomination was my name, and I had the design work done, which I loved. I did love uh, all the design work. My partner did not. Um, anyway, so I was already kind of like, we were constantly bickering over shit. And then this guy comes along, and I can't figure out an angle for, he has nothing to gain 
right? He has nothing to gain by being involved because all of the money he wants, he wants at the end. But he has a film crew and he has like all of these things. I also have no fucking idea what I'm doing. I am just like, I know that I am good at creating things. I just have to work and then cool adventures come. Now, half of those good adventures just become uh, funny stories and nothing comes of it. So I work my ass off tirelessly over the course of the next, whatever, six months to get this tour ready. And um, we put, I end up having to put a bunch of my own money into the Kickstarter because nobody, like a bunch of people gave money to me, but like not very many people gave money to her. And, uh, but a ton of people, like we didn't make the numbers on the Kickstarter. So I end up putting my own money in it. Otherwise you just lose a shit ton of money. It was a mess. And um, now it's time to buy plane tickets. Now, this guy booked our entire tour. And as he was booking our tour, he was like checking the whole things tour with me. or just the Texas? whole tour. Texas. It was like it was the South. And so he would contact me and be like, do you what do you think about this venue? And we would have like long conversations about it and go back and forth. And then I would have to argue with her and whatever. Uh, she's fine, by the way. She just doesn't. We don't like, like uh, you know not the right personality types to work with each other. But in my head, like she was frustrating and he and I were working very well together. And, um, he wanted to bring this one film crew who was like some Christian production company or something. And then they turned out to be terrible. And so we went to Portland to do a show. Oh, because the shows were like the storytelling show where like locals would tell stories and then I would headline at the end and she would host. The the shows were kind of cool. So we did our first in Portland, sold out before we even like got into town. And um, uh, I met a film crew there. I met Brett Roberts there who did the video for our Kickstarter and um, we end up firing the Christian production company that dude wanted to bring and hiring, hiring Brett Roberts and them anyway. So it comes time to buy plane tickets and hotel rooms and dude is supposed to reimburse me for this. So I buy $5,000 worth of plane tickets for like crew and us. And I don't know if that number's right. It was thousands and thousands of dollars and then I, and luckily it was all Southwest. Luckily, thank God, Brett Roberts was a huge dick about it having to be uh, Southwest. This is when I found out that Southwest is like the only airline that gives you the credit for the uh-huh. flight you booked. Shout out Southwest. I love Southwest. I don't even look at any other flights. And so then I messaged dude for the reimbursement. I'm like, okay, I put out 5000 because he was supposed to put everything up. And he doesn't respond. And then I, uh, a couple days goes by and he's still not responding. I also got Airbnbs, which I didn't get my money back for. And I put this entire thing together. Like he booked the shows and I did all the travel, all the, all the other stuff, the, the vehicles, everything, everything everything was done. Everything was coordinated and ready to go. And we were maybe six weeks out, which you're good at, which I'm very good at. I love it. Yeah. So I, it would have been, uh, pretty fantastic uh thing and i was getting ready to like book the book the acts on the shows and stuff but he had all the venues the venues had been on my website for months and he stops answering my calls 
And so I spend like a day crying, of course, because her and I don't get along. You know, she's like, I told you he was a piece of shit because there was some like uh, he had had a bad run in with Stanhope at some point. She's like, I told you he was a piece of shit. But in my head, I felt like you don't help me with anything like I don't you know. Uh, I didn't like love him as a person, but you know, he answered my phone calls. <laughs> uh-huh. And so, uh, here's the thing about me and, uh, I, what do I, the shadow side of never giving up because I just won't give up. I have a hard time. Uh, I'll pivot. I'll be like, Oh, this doesn't work. I'll go this way. Oh, this doesn't work. I'll go this way. But I, I often will keep going after all of the signs have made themselves like I didn't want to deal with the idea of him being a scam artist because I wanted to make this work people already saw this I had a fucking kickstarter which was fucking humiliating for money that I didn't need because I brought my motherfucking money and so I like it couldn't fail like people could not see this fail because then I look like an idiot and so I just kept going and so I'm like well I don't need this fucking punk bitch I freaked out on him I was like I'm gonna hire a lawyer like whatever so then he blocks me on Facebook thinking that that's gonna delete our messages because I was like I have all your promises here in messenger so did he ever respond he never did respond he blocked me for a really long time he unblocked me eventually well why were you contacting a lawyer i really should have like brought this memory up more in my mind before trying to tell the story on the podcast so okay here was the arrangement between us the crew was like $5,000. The travel for the crew was like $5,000. We needed hotels. We had to pay for the vehicle. We had to pay for somebody to drive the vehicle. If I remember correctly, we had a bus with a bus driver. Sick. That was in the middle of being changed because there was something about how many people we had to get a special permit or something. This is all shit that I was working on and trying to coordinate. And... We each were supposed to bring, my partner and I were each supposed to bring $15,000. Some of these numbers might not be right, but they're pretty similar to, each of us are supposed to bring $15,000 and we were going to pull this entire thing off for $30,000. Okay. She didn't have her half of the money. Um, She took the money out of a 401k or something. I don't remember what happened. I I, I remember being pretty frustrated with her at the time, but like a lot of time has passed and I have a hard time staying mad or whatever. So I don't. I don't know. At the time, it, it, it felt like me versus her. And then this person comes along who has money and is like, I will put up half. Because this, we got a little bit producer guy. From yeah. Texas. Yeah. We got a little bit. I think we got like six thousand from the Kickstarter. And then this producer comes along and he wants a pretty big chunk of the back end. The points points. But for me, I'm like, who gives a shit? I'm doing this to get a TV credit. Like, this is what this is in my head. I'm like, I have to get a TV credit and I can't move to L.A. My husband won't let me move to L.A. So this is how I'm going to make my own TV credit is the mission that I'm on at the time. So I couldn't figure out because something did come out where she because she hated him and she was like, he's a scam artist. I talked to someone who didn't like him. But the dynamic between her and I was it felt like she just wasn't we just weren't each other's deal. Right. So I would be like, okay, 
she wanted to write everything. I think she thought I was an idiot. So she wanted to be the person that wrote everything. So she wanted to write all the copy for the website. And I'm like, okay, well then the website needs to go up by next Thursday. And then she wouldn't write the copy, wouldn't write the copy, wouldn't write the copy, wouldn't answer my emails, wouldn't answer my calls. And then I'm like, okay, the thing launches on Thursday. So then I write the copy, I put it up and the next day. She's like, I don't like this at all. This was like, oh, so your phone does work. Yeah, what the exactly. Hell? And so then uh, I do feel kind of guilty because I remember her saying like that she was depressed. And back then I didn't have a ton of patience for other people's mental health stuff. Uh, also, it just felt like a cop out. But my issue was if you are not able to do your job and I do it for you, I don't want you to come back and criticize what I did. You know, yeah. And then there were a lot of things. Some people who have like a fear of success or a fear of failure, they do a lot of like circular shit just for the sake of being circular. And I think I projected some of my experiences with this person onto you before, where um, some things just need to be done. They just need to get done. And so I had the the logo made, and I loved it. And she was like, "I just want the square to be smaller." And I was like, "Well, I'm paying this guy by the hour." I was paying him 50 bucks an hour, 100 bucks an hour or something. So I think it's perfect. I don't think we need to be nitpicky about it. And she was like, well, why are we paying him $50 an hour? I have a friend who does graphic design and we could do that. And I'm like, well, it's already made, first of all. Second of all, I like to pay people to do their jobs so that we can give them a deadline. This entire thing we're trying to pull off in six months, by the way. So it's like we are trying to plan coordinate a, a huge comedy thing with kids and everything else and a camera crew and stuff like in six months time we don't have time to spend weeks waiting for your homeboy to design a fucking thing and uh, so now but the the needing to to shrink the thing felt very petty and like I didn't you know it was a lot of this we just energetically were a terrible match but there were lots of like putting me in a position to have to ask for something over and over again and then doing it myself and then like never once being like, hey, I had a rough day. Thank you for picking up the slack on that. It was always like, I don't like this at all. Like, I don't like the way that you write. And I hated the way that she wrote. I hated it. Uh, but um, super wordy, tons of exclamation points. Anyone that knows me, I'm very weird about exclamation points, exclamation points. I would like to be wiped out of our entire, like they are only to let people know that you are not mad in emails. That's it. Like that is the entire, I hate exclamation points. Anyway. Um, I, uh, was, Dude, you're getting so worked up on this that I, I asked a question about the producer and then <laughs> And now, and now you're just attacking different parts of punctuation. <laughs> you're just like, and it's another thing, semicolons can suck a dick. Who needs you? Be a comma or be a colon. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, it's all coming back to me now because I'm remembering why. So she, she's like, I hung out with somebody and they told me that he's a scam artist. And I was like, uh, yeah, I read some stuff about him on the internet. And what you had read stuff about him scamming? Yeah, people I had googled him to see if he was really a big deal. He was a producer who Doug Stanhope had had a uh, a run in with, and I was very strategic the entire time I dealt with him to make sure that he didn't get anything out of us. He was kind of the guy to like take your money or whatever. So I had set the entire arrangement up to where he couldn't take any money from us. I was taking money from him. And so I thought I had us protected. I didn't realize he was a scam artist just for shits and gigs. Like, I didn't <laughs> know that. He's just mentally I do it for ill. for the thrill of the scam, baby. 
So, uh, but when she confronted me about it, it just felt like another fear of, I'm assuming fear, like she just didn't like me. I don't know what the fuck it was, but it was just like another roadblock. I'm like, every time I talk to you on the phone, what do you want me to do now? Because you don't book gigs. You don't do any work. I can't put this entire thing together myself. This person came along. They want to put up the money. We also can't do it because you don't have your money. Like this person is willing to do the things that you're not doing. I don't know what you want me to do. She would do things, but they were like not things that would further the project at all. She put hours and hours and hours and hours into something that didn't get anything done. And so can I ask this, how are y'all's jokes? Like the whole this is supposed to be you're gonna film your old, your your jokes. Are you, and uh are you getting She's out hosting. and working on your uh material at all? I feel like you've uh like for either of you, what are your like and she lives in a different state than she you? She lives in a different state. No, we spent no time on the comedy part. We did <laughs> we did two shows, they both sold out and the shows were phenomenal. Okay. The shows were she hosted, so she did fucking whatever, five or ten up front. And then locals would come tell stories of like the worst thing that ever happened to them or something like, As but, a mom? oh, they were mom stories. Yeah. Uh, LaShonda Lester, uh, it's where I met her, got up and told the story about her son being special needs. It was fucking beautiful. And so it was like five mom stories. And then I would get up and do my mom set, which I had, you know, like just written that crushed. It was fucking crushed. Like, uh, you know, my mom jokes that kill. So yeah. I was working, I was headlining at the time doing, you know, my normal four shows a year, just killing it, you know, <laughs> that part was not, no, I didn't have time to do that. But <laughs> so I was thinking, I was like, this is a full-time job just uh, producing this thing. The majority of the, the documentary itself was going to focus on the trying to juggle this career and kids and stuff. There wasn't going to be a ton about the shows, but I had to coordinate babysitters and, you know, okay. So the document it's, it's less about, it's about taking your kids on the road. Yeah. Okay. So you're not showing a ton of the, jokes. no, it wasn't like a comedy special. No. Gotcha. So, um, but then, yeah, the, the shows themselves were this, like, uh, we hadn't gotten to the shows too much. The venues were booked. You could buy tickets, I think, on the website, but we didn't, we hadn't, like, booked all the storytellers yet. Like, I was trying to get to that point. And we're, like, a couple months out, and I am, and she wants to fire him. And I'm like, then we have no shows, but, like, I just, like, to me, I was just like, uh, you know, you don't do anything. You don't do any work. I need a partner that does fucking work. And it just felt like she was, you know, just trying to pull a, a loose string as usual. And uh, then I buy the tickets and I, I, I plan the travel and I get the Airbnbs and the hotel rooms and I rent the the vehicles and stuff and a ton of this stuff I can't get money back for. And I'm like, hey, uh, Rob was his name. I'll figure out his last name. Hey, Rob, I need the... You know, I, I was sending him receipts. So I think at this point I'm like $8,000. First it was $5,000 and he was like, okay, I'll get that to you a little bit later today. And then next it was $8,000. And uh, These are he, receipts for booking like the cars and the travel. The travel for, the for all of the, because we we're bringing a crew from Portland. Right. And, you know, I also don't, like I'm reading articles and books and stuff. Like I don't know what I'm doing, right? I'm teaching myself as I go. 
And um, he stops responding to me and then I start to get freaked out and then I start like like panicking messaging him like I'm going to contact a lawyer or whatever like you I have it in writing that you would reimburse me for this stuff. And he doesn't respond and I'm like okay he must not have the money like that must be what the issue is is he doesn't actually have the money up front which I'd already dealt with that with her so I was like okay it's fine fuck him. Uh, I had like two days it's funny uh, my Facebook post from those two days because I didn't really get sad ever back then and so you see these two days where I'm suddenly very sad on Facebook my kids have like a piece of cheese and a hot dog on a plate and I was like that my kids dinner is a visual representation of where I'm at right now and um I uh I tell her of course she loves it right she's just like I knew I told you and I'm like yeah uh once again I uh thank you uh it's my money this is gone but yeah. cool and so i'm like fuck it i don't need this piece of shit and so i'm like i'll just contact these venues i don't care if they are his connection and i will just uh be like hey we're the act that's booked here whatever and um i contact the first because he had set up what the whole tour yeah this whole thing through the south yeah i think it was How like 10 states? cities ten, it was like 10 cities 10 cities okay um it, like, the whole thing was supposed to be two weeks that we're out on the road. Okay. And I contact Tucson, Arizona first. And I was like, hey, Gary, uh, this is Jessa Reed. I am, you know, part of this abomination show that's going to be here on Sunday, whatever. And he was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <gasps> and I was oh, like. Oh, shit. Uh, it hadn't for a second occurred to me. <sighs> I, I had long, in-depth conversations where he was like, they said that they'll paper the room. The only one that was actually booked was the Houston, uh, whatever that Houston club that we did, because the owner of that was already a fan of my Facebook stuff and asked if they could be a part of the tour. Nothing else was booked. None of these and rooms did you had book ever that heard yourself, of us. Or did Rob book like did Rob take care of booking like that? Ken Reed had messaged me and was like, my wife is a huge fan of yours. We would like to be on that tour. And then I referred him to Rob and he dealt with Rob the rest of the time. So Rob did this one thing. He did this one thing. I don't, but we had like long in-depth conversations where he was like, listen, Tucson won't give you, they want to do a door deal <laughs> and it's only if this, and they get to have their own opener and they blah, blah, blah. And he had never spoke to them he ever? He had never spoken to any of them. So he's just crazy. He's just insane. So now we are six weeks out. There is uh, no venues booked. And I could pull this off now with a podcast and a, and a this is not happening credit. I bet I could pull it off. But at the time, I was a fucking nobody. And uh, now I'm like, you know, whatever half a notch above a nobody is. But I, I could yeah. I have more of a skill set. But I didn't. I didn't know what to do, but I was still going to do it. I was like, I don't care. I'll rent fire halls. You know, we'll, we'll pull this off still. And then she has a lawyer draft up a cease and desist or a disillusion agreement, uh, including that I could. For you? Yeah. In, yeah. Wait, why is she now? She's done? Yeah, she's done. And she also wants to make sure that I don't carry out this idea with someone else. And so she has like text messages from the beginning. This whole thing started because I told Christine Levine that I wanted to take my kids on the road. Uh, like the entire, like that my dream comedy career would be touring and homeschooling my kids on the road. And, um, now this person is saying that it's their idea and they're going to do it with somebody else. And I, I was like, uh, 
I bought all these plane tickets for this camera crew, this like crew I never ended up using. I, oh, I had bought, I had given Brett Roberts like $4,000 for a camera because it would, it would be so expensive to rent the camera that he was like, I actually want to buy this camera. If you just want to split the camera with me, then, you know, so he got a, so that's tight. I love Brett. So it's fine. Um, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And then she sends me a disillusion agreement. Cause for a second I was like, I'll just take a different comic who like, you know, uh, works or whatever. And then, um, she sent me this thing from a lawyer that like, whatever was not legit, but I was like, okay. But then I was humiliated because people donated money that I didn't need by the way, uh, to this Kickstarter. So then I personally called every single person that donated money on my back. I went through this list of people. There were $6,000 in donations that weren't just me putting my own money in. And I went through this entire list. I was so sad. Like now I look back and I was like, I was so sad, but I was just doing that Jessa thing where I just stare forward and just like keep moving. And I, uh, made such a big deal about this on social media. Like ever, most people think the tour happened because it was such a big deal. And then I just got quiet about it, but I went through and I, uh, contacted every single person, found out if they were on like my, they donated because of me or donated because of her. And if they, I sent out a letter to everybody and was like, if you donated to me, like I've contacted you, if you donated to her, I sent you her money. Uh, I sent her your money and she, you know, you can talk to her. And uh, I offered a refund to every single person that gave money to me, which most of that, like a ton of that money went to fees. I ate the fees. I didn't take any of the fees out of the money I sent her. Uh, fees, what do you mean? To the uh, so what? like Kickstarter keeps a certain percentage of the money. So it was like, okay. a f- it was like a $16,000 Kickstarter, I think like, uh, $10,000 of that was my own money. I don't know, these numbers are probably off, but like $10,000 of that was my own money I put in at the end because the fees are huge if you don't make your thing. And then um, I, uh, uh, so when there were 6,000 that was, we got, you know, let's say 2,000 of that or some, some insane amount goes to fees. And so um, I gave her the full amount that she got in donations without taking out any fees and I just ate that balance and I offered everyone a refund. I think maybe one person asked for a refund, but the rest of the people, I was like, I'm going to repurpose this and go do a different project. And so most people were like, um, you know, go, you know, do you, we just did it cause we like you, whatever. And then I started getting nasty emails like the next year from people who were like, I never received my money back. I never was contacted. I never got any merch that I was promised or whatever. And I was like, I uh, people from her side from her side yeah uh. um and uh yeah it was like really ugly between her and i i didn't talk about it forever this is my first time talking about it It was really ugly between us for a long time and then you know i can't say mad so i just was like uh and it sucks because it's one of these situations where i like i know this person feels like they're a victim of so you me. never went to houston I never went to Houston. What are the pictures of you in front of the bus? I flew out to where she lived and we did that photo shoot. I breastfed someone else's baby and we did one of the two sold out shows that we had ever done. Hmm. Um, we did one in Portland. We did one there. We did so much work like leading up to this so much press. There's like a, a fun like a, a, a radio interview of us talking about it like. 
um, I did the thing where I'm like, I'll make this be a thing. And then I was just swimming upstream with this person. And then the world's weirdest con artist, like, what did you stand to gain? Jason was like, I think he just wanted to, he, he's like, there's a way that you do things that seems like you have to be full of shit. He was like, you just have the, you just have the capacity to just take things that don't make sense and make them into something that makes sense. But like from the outside, you seem like just one of these people that's full of shit. And he said, and this person was full of shit and they probably just thought, Oh, we're going to have fun being full of shit together. And then you started buying plane tickets. And he was like, Oh fuck, this bitch is like serious. Like she's seriously trying to pull this off. And uh, and then he had to That's jump shit. Thought, yeah. Like yeah, I just need a partner to so that we can play pretend. Yeah. I just like to play pretend with people. Yeah. He was like, get, yeah. You know, Jason's like, you're like a mom from Delaware. Like, so I I repurposed a lot of it. I lost all the plane ticket money. It was just a donation to that crew. But Brett, um. A friend had a pilot that I thought was really cool. And so I went out to Portland and spent another 15 grand. So it was like $30,000 in the hole by the end of it to make a pilot. What which was the pilot called? Life is ass. Life is ass. Um, and is this way, like the teeth that we see in the Mormon and the meth head photo shoots was is, made because oh, uh, I played a tweaker in life is ass. Yeah. Yeah. And you've had it since then. Yeah. How did that pilot go? Was that it like? was such a good uh, Brett called it film school, which it absolutely was. It was like, uh, che- or he says cheaper than film school. And I learned how everything works. I had never been on a set before. I didn't know how to write a script before this. I didn't write the script, but like one day in, I was like, oh, the script doesn't work. And so I was like rewriting the script. I learned a lot about the making of television and the process. And then I learned a lot about the editing and then I learned a lot about the, the selling it. And it was just like, not good. The concept was very good. The jokes were good, but like nobody knew what they were doing. And so it was trash, but you know, I'd already spent a bunch of that money anyway, and it was a great learning experience, but those, that, altogether was almost the full two years of me trying to figure out where I was like, give me two years and I will figure out how to make it in comedy from Delaware. And it was just loss after loss, after loss, after loss. And by February of 2016, I had spent $30,000 of our money trying to figure out how to make it, you know, he could have just like let me move to fucking California, you know, and we would have bypassed a lot of this. I could have gone to some open mics, but I, by February was like, Oh, okay. I mean, I'm kind of out of ideas. I'm really never out of ideas, but I had never like let go. Like I just wasn't letting go. I was like, I'm going to figure it out. And it was all just huge failures. And I, um, I think it was spring when I had seen the most recent copy of the final pilot and realized this isn't good enough to sell, you know. And then we talked a little bit about breaking it up into a proof of concept or something. And it just felt... Some things in life just feel like these are things you're supposed to push forward and other things feel like this is a lesson. You know, this is something I needed to learn. 
and uh that's when brett said to me this was cheaper than film school and i was like that resonates you know i learned a lot from a place where i wouldn't have been able to learn it you know and i found a way to you mean delaware yeah okay and just the lifestyle that I was in, you know, I left Portland right when everyone else started getting booked on Portlandia and, you yeah, know, all these other opportunities. Yep. I absolutely would You would have been. been a great little character on Portlandia. Yep. I left the, the summer of, and I just didn't, I don't know. I think this is a pretty good, like a quality that I like about myself. I feel like so many qualities that I used to like about myself, I'm now like, oh, this sucks. This is a shitty quality. This is a defense mechanism, you know. I like that I don't spend a lot of time in regret. Even like this year, I feel like I lost a bunch of things I wanted and I don't really feel a ton of regret. I realized I spent a decade in a relationship that wasn't great and I don't feel a lot of regret you know I feel like I learned the things I was supposed to learn I got things that I did want the temptation to regret that is is uh heavier than usual right now but this particular thing at the time you know I had someone kind of critical in my ear that was enjoying pointing out my failures that I didn't really yeah. yeah what a saint he was for putting up with it you know um but I just, I just remember the next like month of me being like, okay, so what is the narrative on this? What is the, what is the narrative? Did I just try and failed because I am actually bad? Uh, did I, am I never going to make it? Was, is this just going to be a funny story one day? Like nothing worked. My two years is almost up. I said I would go get a real estate license if I didn't figure out a way to make comedy happen. Nice, man. Is it just true that you have to live in L.A. or New York? Is that just the facts, you know? And I don't, my spouse refuses to move to one of those, so I just can't be a comedian. Do I have too many kids? I just played with all these different things. And kind of similarly to when I knew that this is not happening would come out, but then it just, I, you know, I tried to push it and I couldn't figure out a way to push it, so I just let it sit. I just let it sit. And I wrote my first story, my first like long form on stage story, because my comedy was always based on stories about my life, but it wasn't written in the in the form of a story. And this had to be within three weeks of like realizing that life is ass was dead in the water. And I realized it before other people involved did. And uh, I did my first story. And the next day, Ari Shafir posted the thing about wanting more women and people of color to submit to this is not happening. And so everyone who had seen me do that story messaged me. And that was the beginning of what would in 18 months be me doing this is not happening. Um, and I flailed that. I fucked that up. I emailed the guy a million times and none of them were a story <laughs> that would work. And uh, and then I just let that sit. And then my original thing was a, was a, a rejection email or a him acknowledging a rejection email him what do you mean uh the, the first email i got from eric abrams was like hey i'm assuming you got my email uh i just wanted to say that there were a few people who although we uh it's a pass from us there are a few people who stood out and i think like you might 
But have you a never story. got the email that said it's a I pass. I didn't get the pass. No. So had he not sent that, you know, um, but had I you didn't not sent email after email. He's like, didn't this bitch get the rejection yeah. notice? Why doesn't she get it? And he now doesn't remember saying that. Eric. He doesn't. Re- yeah, I love Eric. He doesn't remember saying that either. He's like, I don't remember sending you that email. It's just, he, uh, I think, just remembers me harassing him after that. But I, I've been thinking a lot about failure. Like, what is failure? Like, it's all just life experience, you know? And that one was so wild, but just an example of, I had no idea. I'm like, people make shows. I can make a show. How do you make a show? Google. Okay, Google. How do you make a show? How do you make a documentary? Like, it was going to be terrible. Like, it would have been terrible. I do think it would have been good because me and that chick would have fought the whole time. And I was positive. TV. (laughs) Yeah, I was positive we were going to argue the entire time because our entire dynamic, there was very little friendship at the bottom of this just... (laughs) Because we didn't know each other. Someone else connected us. And we were not each other's deal at all. But uh, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Uh, what is what is failure? What is success? I mean, you do have like success measured by fame and money and everything else. But then you look how unhappy a lot of people are that attain those things. So like what what is it? And... I think about that, you know, and I'm like, well, maybe I'm maybe I'm doing good emotional work and I and that's I should be happy with that. But then I I, because I I, we know people who have things that I want and they are so sad. They're so sad. But I just think, fuck, I'd rather have I'd rather have some success of like I, I feel like that would help assuage the sadness a bit, wouldn't it? If I was making this much money a week, I'd feel a little bit better about all my emotional problems that I'm working through. Why can't y'all be happy with your success? I think if it's outside of you, it's empty. And when you don't have it, you do at least have the hope that you'll be able to get it, you know, like you're like, Oh, there's a happiness over there. And then I think it is probably somewhat soul crushing to attain the happiness, uh, to attain the external things and then to have them not help. I just feel like I, I want some money though. I would just like, I, I could even be sadder than I am right now. Like I don't even have to be any happier and I could even go a little bit sadder, but if I just had money, God, it would feel so much better if I was just like, sometimes I think, good God, I hope nothing ever happens to Ethan or me or when it's like right now, I think, you know, this is a pretty cheap kid so far. Like I haven't had to spend that much money on him. And I think about like around the corner, something's going to happen and I'm going to be thousands of dollars. It's going to wreck me. And I'm like, oh. I should have gotten that real estate license. Oh, <laughs> damn it. I should have done it. That's funny that I've, I have often thought about that as my backup as well. Just seems like such an easy thing to do. Like, yeah, just go get that license. And then you just like, you have to memorize how many bathrooms are in a house. And that's it. You're just like, yeah. yep, there's three in this one. Do you it's like bathrooms? Like- Only two and a half. But like the half is, it's more of like two and three quarters. Honestly, it's a lot of bathrooms. It's actually a crazy amount of math, and then the hard part is finding clients. Crazy amount work. of math? What's mm-hmm. the math? I don't know. To get the license, you have to be able to do some pretty complex math. Complex math? I, I, I feel like a real estate agent at the max, I mean, like, was what, has to calculate interest? They're not doing any trigonometry. 
they're not having to memorize equations or anything like that. They don't they don't need the the theorems that Pythagoras has been searching for for <laughs> 10,000 years. It's just like it's just like all right, this house was $429,000. My fee is 15% or whatever. I don't know. And then they have to calculate that. That's all they got to do. What's the, what's the math? I don't know. I, like, I haven't if I, sell, I don't know my time If I sell tables. a $400,000 house and a $300,000 house, that's $700,000 in two houses. I could be anybody could be a real estate agent. <laughs> anybody. Anybody. You have to find clients though and that's a bitch. Sure. Sure. Like, I'm sure that's the hard part, but like I would crush like so I'd crush walking a around house. a house and pointing out rooms. This is a living room. <laughs> what you guys think? Hmm? Hmm? If you're getting crazy, if you don't like it as a living room, it could be a family room. You know? There's a lot of a lot of potential in this room right here, I think. You know what? Could even be a den. If you really wanted it to be, we could make it into a den. Whatever you guys want. The sky is the limit. I feel like there are... I hate my memory. I feel like there were giant, funny pieces of that Rob guy that I am not remembering right now. Like, giant, funny, weird things he did. He was just... <laughs> I just imagine him uh, like an Amy Sedaris character, just like in living in a car... With a gigantic cell phone and just like giving you all this bullshit about, uh, yeah, so Memphis is, we're struggling with Memphis right now. We had one venue locked down, but then they flooded. So we're trying yeah. to switch to another yeah. venue right now. And uh, I'm in the middle of negotiations with two of them. One of them is wanting way too much of the door, but I think I can leverage the other venue against it, and we're going to get the same deal that we wanted. Now, uh, you know, he's just like done nothing. He just yeah. has squirrels in his car. <laughs> <laughs> he just he just has a quorum of squirrels in his car that are eating like little little apple pies from Seven Eleven, and he's just making up this whole other life, and that gives him satisfaction somehow. He's just like, ah, yeah, hard day at work. Yeah, he was like, okay, let me call you back. Let me see what I can do. And they called me back, and he's like, they're going to have to paper this room, but I think it would still be beneficial for us. Yeah, I think it's so – you could just do the work. Like, the (laughs) amount of effort that you put into faking it, how how hard would it be to just call somebody? when I talked to the clubs, some of the clubs, some of them were, like, showcase rooms, right, that were, like, dude, like, I have Facebook friends with people to this day – that when I contacted them, they were like, what? But then, like, Gary from the Tucson room, he knew this guy. He's like, I would have let him book you. Fucking Rob. Jesus. Um, hmm. Squirrels in his car eating apple pies for seven I wonder how many other people he was booking tours for. Like, was it just you? Or did he go through his whole day just calling up <laughs> other people? And they're just like, listen, Anchorage isn't going to work out. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, I, know I we remember the night it. where I was traumatized. The fir- Like, I, God, it was a rough couple weeks. The realization that it was all falling apart, I took so hard. Um, 
And I remember just pacing out in my driveway and then me calling Brett Roberts and being like, I got an idea. I got an idea. All right. It's a documentary. It's about documentary about getting fucked over by bookers. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. So there's this booker that uh, has gone by multiple different names. He's like based out of Detroit or, or Minneapolis or something like that. There's a, They like did a news story about him at one point. But like uh, he he books comics nationwide for like shit gigs and you'll like he has this huge email list and he emails people and he like pretends to be two different people like he'll he'll uh send emails under one name and send emails under a different name you know it's for pretending to be like oh i work for it's like oh hi, my name is uh is montel i work for jason but it's the same dude it's the same guy uh sending out the emails you know and He'll book. He's like, hey, I need someone to uh, feature in Des Moines for $150. No hotel. <laughs> like, <laughs> no travel money. She's $150. And um, I worked for him when I was new. Uh, yeah, I was like, uh, you know, this is someone. When you were struggling to find someone who will book you. Right. There's a guy that will book you. And you're like, okay, great. And then I, th I, I went somewhere in Wyoming. And I was just the feature. There was a headliner as well. And I drove to Wyoming. I think this did have a room in it. and But still, and it was like for like police officers in like some shitty banquet hall thing. And they made a comment to us, like both the headliner and me, about how grateful they were that we could make it on such short notice. Which was weird to me because I was like, I've had this booked for a couple of months. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's that short notice, but okay. But then... When this news story broke about the guy, it was. It turns out that he has this like all these comics had this same had a similar story, and it turns out that he would book something with the with a company. Like so, say a company's Google's like I want to book a comedian. His website comes up and he talks to them and he's just like, oh yeah, I can book you so and so. And then he would like promise you someone big. He would promise you like uh you know. Gabriel Iglesias or something, you know, we got Gabriel and he's going to do it. And he would charge them, you know, a Gabriel Iglesias fee, you know, something or I mean, probably not enough for Gabriel Iglesias, right. but, you know, pick someone who fits. But he would charge him like several grand, five grand and we'll get you this guy. And then like the week of the show, he's like, oh, my God, Gabriel's aunt died. And Gabriel or like someone like the tour or something, blah, blah, blah. He can't make it anymore. And uh, I'm so sorry. And let me see what I can do. It puts them into a panic about like, oh, this event that we've been planning for six months is now going to fall apart. And then there's like, uh, oh, I, I've saved the day. You get a call like that. It's like, I've got some other comics in that area. They can come and blah, blah, blah. They're great. Here's some videos of them. And they're like, oh, they're good. This is great. Whatever. And then, but it was always just you. Yeah. It was always just you Jesus. coming. And then he'd only ever – you never talk to the company. You only ever talk to him. And so you don't ever know what he's paying – what he's getting paid. But, like, you're getting $150. And $150, as I, as I grew up and I did more in, in, in comedy, it's like that is such a shit fee for corporate. Like a, a corporate rate is like $1,000 for a half an hour. Like right. that's, that's pretty easy to get in the corporate world if you're going to do – uh, like that one gig that I bombed so hard at yeah. that was, I was, 
I did an hour and I was supposed to get two grand. They never paid me my second uh, grand, but you know, like two grand for an hour is pretty standard. And he had this guy, he's just throwing out chump change for people. And uh, like enough comics like complained, enough companies complained that then like this news story broke out and he was on, you know, he was on the news and stuff. And then he just like switched the name of his company from like, comedians usa to comedians nationwide or something yeah, like that and like has a different it. name and he still has th- and he's, i still get emails from him and i'm performing for him tomorrow night <laughs> in provo utah i'm such a shit i'm such a shit it's 350 dollars, and it's for it's oh i can't i said i wasn't gonna take it and i did i'm so fucking broke I'm so fucking broke and i was like oh fucking bullshit whatever i'll do it I thought I'd never take a corporate gig in Provo again and not for $350. But here I am. Here I I did find out that I'm not performing for the sales reps, which uh, big thumbs up. Even better, they're like, the, I'm going to make my act about how much I hate the sales rep because like this office has, has to deal with this. Like, I don't know what they, they like create the computer proposals or something for yeah. solar panels. And then the sales reps are like all these assholes who are like calling in and be like, all right, get it done faster. And you're, and I'm, I'm, you know, salespeople are just the fucking worst. Yeah. So I'm just writing a whole bunch of jokes about like, you know, what was it like to be popular in high school and get a 900 on the SATs? <laughs> <laughs> Robert and I think they're gonna love it but you know I have no I have no morals I guess <laughs> not since I forsake uh, forsook my god <laughs> none I the the only thing that's close to what you did was when I wanted to tape sad and needy my my divorced hour after I got divorced I wanted to tape this thing and it was I don't think I and I and I worked on the jokes for a long time and they were good and I felt like we're at a point where it's where it's still good and I'm getting over the divorce and I feel like I got to I want to tape these while it's still somewhat fresh because like right. what made the jokes so cool was like I was on stage like at like as the the news was breaking about the divorce and I'm processing it in real time and it was very raw and cool and I liked that and there was a part of me that felt like these jokes are getting worse every time I tell them you know because like the f- I got on stage uh, as you guys probably know the the night she left me I went to an open mic and started doing this material and it was awesome and God, I wish that was on tape. I know. I had it. I had. I told you before, but it was recorded. I had it saved on my phone, but then uh, my phone erased itself one day while I was on a, a sad jog. Just my. F- I watched. I was listening <laughs> oh to my, my music. <laughs> I was listening to my music, and then uh, it's the music stops. So I pulled my phone out of my pocket, and it was just like <laughs> goodbye, and it was just <laughs> shutting down. And I was like, "What is this?" And I when it turned, it turned itself back on, and all my apps were gone. <laughs> All the photos of Tabitha that I would look at were gone. All uh, oh, all this, wow. like everything was just gone, including the recording of that open mic, which would have been really fun to have forever. But I was like, this is probably a blessing. Sure. Anyway, I asked Keith, the owner of Wise Guys, like, hey, can I get a, a one night at your club? I want to record an album. And he was like, Sure. And then I talked to my friends about, like, I want to record it. Like, what do I need? What should I get? 
and I had some friends who were into film, and they were like, we would, f- we would like to film it. And I was like, no way. And so I paid to, for them to rent the cameras, but they got, like, good deals on renting the cameras from their friends. So it wasn't, like, that much. But I am glad I, I paid for it. I didn't, but, like, I, had, but I didn't pay them for their time. I was like, I, w- I rented the equipment, but, like, their time was, I said, I want to give you points, right? I didn't yeah. call it that. But I was like, I want to give you percentage on whatever I make on this. And I figured I'll probably put it on iTunes, and I'll probably be selling it for, like, $5 a download and then give you guys uh, a percentage, you know? And they were like, that's cool with us. And I put work into advertising it, you know? I paid money for advertisements. I called every radio station in Salt Lake and got on the radio and different... I only ended up getting on two stations. But, like, uh, you know, plugging out on the radio. We were running promos and stuff. And uh, a lot of people came. It's a big club in Salt Lake, and yeah. we filled it up pretty nice. And it was a lot of people came, and the camera that they got was so nice. And we were there early and like setting it up, and I was just like really excited. And then the show went; it was okay uh, or good. You know, afterwards I was like really, I was in a really good mood. And then I was like so excited to watch the footage that we got. And then I went down to their you know offices in Provo to watch the footage of it and I started watching it and I was like oh shit oh no not good this is not this is not even close to my best performance of these jokes and I am super 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 embarrassed to say it I feel really really dumb still I got too high I was still like, I don't know, like I was nervous and I wanted to get, I wanted to get high before the show. And at this point in time, I was getting uh, high for like every single show right. that, I, that I was doing or, you know, having a drink or something. And I should, now I, now I know myself better. I know drugs and alcohol better. I should have just gotten a drink and it would have done much better than weed. But whatever, at that point in time, I'm on this weed kick. And I feel like, you know, I like the way that I perform while I'm high and yada, yada. But I got too high. And delivering my jokes just kind of dead. Like not with the same intensity, energy, whatever. I fucking hated it. And then I just quietly put it away and never talked about it again. And I hate it. I hate it. I wanted to release that. I wanted to have. And as you and I have gotten poor lately. Uh, like we've talked about ways to make money. And I'm like, you know, I still have this file on my laptop. I could just, you know, like it's not that bad. I bet your standards are too high, man. Yeah. Just why don't you watch this and edit it? And like if there's jokes that you don't like, edit out that. What if you only release half hour of it? Who cares? You could still sell for $5 a download. Who cares? Put it out there. Make some money off of it. Have something come from it. So then I opened up the file and I was like, yeah, let's just watch it. I bet like now that time has passed, it's not that you're not going to hate it as much. And I got like two minutes in and I was like, fuck, no. (laughs) Watching yourself is the hardest thing. Do you want me to watch it for you? You are. No, I can't have you watch it because you think it's great. Like I need someone. (laughs) You're like, like you have watched it. I sent it to you after I first got it. And, uh. And you liked it a lot. And I was like, this woman's insane. <laughs> I knew that. Why did I send her this? 
So I do, I but I do think that like having someone else uh, edit it might be the key. Like someone, someone else uh, watch this and edit it down. But like I, I don't know, I I'm torn between putting it out there. I see so many comics getting fans with shitty material. Yeah, they put out man. shit stuff, and they're they have so many fans who are like, okay, "This is the greatest thing I've ever seen," and I'm like, "That's so bad." So why don't I just put out my bad stuff and have people uh, like me for it? But then I think I don't want to put out anything that embarrasses me. You know, I want I want people to see my best stuff. You know, I want people to see something good. But then I we just did a, a show here in L.A. the uh, Thursday at the Zephyr show. Yep. Oh my God! Did I? We I had such a great set, such a good set, and he videotaped it. And I was like, "You videotaped it? Oh my God! That is my dream come true: is to like not know about a videotape exactly. until after the set is over." You know, and I'm like, "Well, my set was so good. Let's. I can't wait to get a new video. I'm gonna put this on my YouTube. I've got all these YouTube subscribers. I never upload videos. Here's a new video I'm gonna put up." I think I made it like 30 seconds in. I hadn't even put my drink down yet. And I was like, why did I bring a drink on stage? What the fuck? This video <laughs> sucks. I wasn't, I didn't have a good set. I was just drunk. <laughs> Which I was. It Well, it took a minute. It was like, um, I think your second punchline when the audience was like, fuck yeah. Because you followed a very strong comedian. Yeah. And so you gotta you gotta watch past the second punchline. I can't. It's so hard to watch myself. Yeah, I get it. There's just eight million things that you you're not just like. I think someone else was gonna watch that and be like, okay, these jokes are good, but you watch your own video and you're like, why does my hair look like that? Yep. Why does the? Oh, I hate the way the light's hitting my chin and it's making my. I I feel like I have a much stronger chin than this. Why do I? Why did I wear these clothes? Oh yep. no. Oh, there's someone talking in the corner. You can hear someone talking in the. Oh no, this will never work. Oh no. Oh, why, why no did I talk? Over? I stepped on that laugh. Why did I step on the laugh? What's wrong with me? Da da da. You know. Uh, I wonder. I'll have to watch Sad and Needy someday. Someday. I don't think I watched the whole thing. I've seen a couple of clips from it. What's it like being proud of something that you've created? I wonder. What does that feel like? Pretty proud of this podcast. I am proud of this podcast. I absolutely am pr- proud of this podcast. And my son. And that's it. Those are the only <laughs> two things that I've created that are worth any that are worth anything. Hmm. Anyway, uh, pre-order sad and needy. <laughs> Well, I get a, if I get a hundred pre-orders, I'll release it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that sounds like a good number, right? Yeah. That's five hundred dollars. I'm immediately charging more. I'm already like in my head. I'm like, nah, five's not enough. Five's not enough. If I tease it this much, I'll make them want it more. <laughs> like, hmm, you know, nah. I don't think I'll release it. Maybe it should be like seven dollars a person. I don't. Whatever my rent is is what the, <laughs> is going to determine the download price. I'm like yeah, I don't know what failure is for either. It seems 
like obvious that it's oh learning experience and don't get down and blah 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 but when you're in it it just feels like you failed i really kind of hate your uh ability to just move forward and i uh i'm like well i don't know because i i sit in it i sit in it and i'm like fuck fuck i just feel like what if so absolutely those things were just to teach me something so that I could go on and do what I did. But like if I had closed, if I had just decided that, that it was over, then I wouldn't have done this is not happening, you know? So I just think that all the time because I'm kind of in I'll a f- phase right now of, I wouldn't say failure right now, but I'm kind of in a what is it that you want to do? Like I wanted to make TV shows and then I felt like when we were in the process of make, I still think we're going to make TV, but when we were in the process of pitching shows, I was looking around at the people and was like, Oh, we are just like, we're trying to do this from the old version of it. We're just like one year behind the way that this shit gets done. Because I think the industry is changing quickly. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. So, like, it used to be you have to have a TV credit. And then they gave a TV credit to everybody. And now it's like you have to have a million followers. And I was just like, oh, I just go get a giant fan base. And then you have to make whatever I want. Like, that is the that is the strategy. But I felt like with the TV, they have no idea what they're doing. They have no, no idea. That was the vibe I got from both, both pitch meetings that we did. was like, um, they have no idea what they're doing and I still think we're gonna make TV the problem with me is that I time is hard for me so if something hasn't happened in a short period of time it's hard for me to continue to want the same thing for a long time because I'll just get distracted by something else which is a little bit of what's happening to me right now I'm a little bit in like a fluid what is it that I want you know I knew I wanted to be famous when I was younger and then by the time it became an option I was like uh, I don't really like it I don't it doesn't do what it would have done for me when I was younger the uh, validation and stuff the validation just makes me nervous now it's like who that's a lot of people to decide they don't like you I do like LA I think I don't know. I feel like I could do anything I want and I weirdly can't decide. And it's not even really from a place I don't think of like, what if it's the wrong thing? It's just a strange. I don't know what I want. I think it's I'm like trying to figure out what I want in the midst of all these feelings and and shit so I do think the emotional work is the work at the present no one pays you for that work though there's no pay you can't if I if I could get paid for that god I'm really good at it I do I'm that's I'm an excellent employee when it comes to doing the work. You could absolutely become a YouTube star talking (laughs) about your feelings but you don't (laughs) want to (laughs) How is then? The, yeah, I don't. I don't like that idea at all. It's very uncomfortable. You know who they're giving everything in comedy to? Uh, <laughs> Phoebe Waller-Bridge. 
Uh, the, the one thing that I learned from Sad and Needy, never, ever, ever tape just once. You're going to take, like, don't ever do an album recording one time. Yeah. You always got to mo- do multiple nights. Yeah. I wish that I wasn't nervous. I wish that I wasn't anxious. I try all the things to try to, like, act like I'm not, you know, I try all the stuff. Like, don't be nervous. Don't, that whole week, you know, I worked on not, uh, like, I'm going to have that whole day to be in a perfect psychological space ready to record and I still wasn't but if we had recorded immediately after if we had a second show or yep. even just the next night had a second show it'd been golden that's a very good point but I did it I was like yeah just gonna do this in one shot but I thought that that would be I thought that I would be prepared enough that I was like yeah I, I mean I do this every weekend because I was performing a lot back then I was I had really honed it sharp in my uh, craft. Yeah, I was very good, and uh, then I still blew it when it came to. Take a second though to think about how much better this is not happening is now that they did try to diversify. Like when you think early, this is not happening is just white bros. Yeah. Yep. White bros being like, and then I did this drug. And it's uh it's it's a lot better now. Yeah, he said in that Hooray thing, for diversity. He said in that thing that like, you know, I'll still watch tapes of white dudes, but like we have enough. Uh it was a lack of submissions. Mm. And they wanted he wanted to find people that nobody had ever heard of, so Start looking in Delaware, man. That's the spot. Delaware's hiding the heat. Anyway, this is to announce that I'm starting a YouTube channel. I was just thinking to say, I was going to be like, Justin wants to make us uh, YouTube stars. (laughs) This is the future, is making your own shit, which is I was born for this future because my dream is to not have a boss. I came to LA and it's like oh well you could like make 10 grand a month or something being a writer on a show but it's like a nine to five job I would rather not I would rather never have a boss so long as I live I don't want to answer to anybody so I'm like oh okay but I could go on YouTube I could become YouTube famous so where then they just hand me shit like they're doing like they're they're giving the comedy clubs to YouTube stars to work for the weekend you could get a TV deal better because they now they want you not only they want you to come with your own fan base and that's where you find your fan base. Besides the fact that I think the ascension is taking place on the internet, like everything is on the internet and you can write your own ticket. Is like we already opened that door a little bit with podcasting. I think that we should now do it. And I don't know if you've ever watched YouTube stars, but a lot of them are garbage. Like the bar is set somewhat low. So I've just spent the last, I don't know, since the breakup, just obsessed with this idea of being YouTube stars and just researching it and watching a bunch of different kinds and figuring out what area. But the area that we belong in is mental health and for me, spirituality. But we bring something to the mental health conversation, which is we're hilarious and candid and honest about our own experiences and there's a gigantic market for that. This is like what people want. 
that's why I wanted like I wanted to move the podcast to the mental health subcategory where we would be, you know, top 50. And I think we could have a badass YouTube channel where we talk about this stuff and then YouTube would blow up way harder than podcasts. And then we could tour on that shit and do our own kind of special shows. And then once we have all kinds of heat behind that, then Netflix is like, y'all want a special like Brene Brown? Boom. Created our own path, our own thing. Because comedy is basically Brene Brown wrote now. books and stuff, right? She's not a YouTube star. Uh, she probably wrote books, but her like most people know who she is because of her presence on social media. I on feel like is she the a reason YouTuber? Is she a v- yeah, like people share her videos all the time. Mm. She's not like a YouTuber, like sitting in front of a fireplace making a video, but she has several like viral videos about vulnerability and stuff, and she's funny. But we are like very funny comedians. We would be insanely funny. I can't need a different word for motivational speaker, but like people who talk about something deeper than just, you know, um, pick a subject and talk about it. Like write a uh, two person show about intimacy and like all of our funny relationship stories and our journey. And it's from both perspectives and it's inspirational and people leave there feeling like their marriage is going to be fixed because now they've heard someone talk from their husband's perspective or uh, a one that's written about leaving Mormonism and leaving meth. Like there's, and it, and then this is the shit that like sells out convention centers and, you know, and then it's made into a series of uh, short, easy, easy to consume social media videos. And we hire a publicist that helps get those put out and we blow the fuck up while comedy is just like in a, like a bunch of a civil war <laughs> fucking jerking each other off or f- fucking fist fighting each other. And it's like. Uh, now we have something that's real, it's substantial, it leads to book deals, it leads to TV shows, it leads to all this stuff. It was like a brand that we built that was our own thing from the ground up and we don't have a fucking boss. Like nobody tells us what to do. Like it's very uh, it's very obvious okay. to me. I know a guy who might be able to help. His name is Rob. <laughs> Chipmunk, I know, recommended him to me. (laughs) I said it really helped him take his TikTok off to the next (laughs) level. Uh, All right, well, uh, now our business plan is out there for the whole world (laughs) to see. But uh, I think it's time for us to go. But I guess catch us next time on our YouTube channel. (laughs) Mormon and the meth head. If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Podcast Network.